Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, and it's extremely excited for our guest today and John Lombardo, Major League Scout with the Boston Red Sox. And John uh, is also an Ohio U Bobcat alum, but uh, nonetheless has had tremendous amount of experience within the professional baseball industry um, on the player side and just a wealth of knowledge. So John, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me and I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. So when someone asks you, you know, what's it like to be a major league scout uh, and how did you get there? What's your typical, what's your typical spiel about uh, your path and what you've learned uh, along the way to get to where you are now? Well, that's a pretty loaded question. And if, if anybody <laughs> wants to know what it's like, just, uh, I guess just plan on being away from your family for eight, nine months at a time for 20, 25 days at a time. Um, that's the, the, the first and foremost thing. It's the best job in the world. If you don't have a family, it's one of the best jobs in the world anyway, but it is difficult, obviously spending that much time away from, from away from home. But other than that, um, long story short, I get to watch baseball games for a living and I, I'm never going to really complain about that. Uh, I really enjoy what I do. I'm very fortunate to be doing it with an organization that is scout centric and that takes good and really values our opinions. And, you know, my path was a, a long winding one. Um, started off at Trinity University as a baseball player, went to Ohio University to get my graduate degree. Ohio University, for those who don't know, was actually started by the Los Angeles Dodgers, at least the uh, sports administration program was started by the Los Angeles Dodgers as a breeding ground for baseball executives. So mm-hmm. um, because of that, there was a, a strong alumni base uh, within baseball um, from Ohio University that I began networking with um, while I was in school. And long story shot, short, an uh, opportunity opened up with one of our graduates, Dan O'Brien, um, who was the assistant general manager of the Texas Rangers at the time, uh, allowed me an opportunity to, to come to the Rangers as an intern and kind of slowly worked my way from there through the front office and uh, with the Rangers for 11 years and then into the scouting ranks with the uh, Red Sox. So as you reflect back on your, your windy path uh, and there's, you know, a student that's sitting in grad school right now wondering how they can get into the professional side or, you know, hey, I, maybe I wasn't a college player or I wasn't a professional player, but I'd still really like to be in that realm. What are some of the areas in which they can get involved in? And can you kind of give us a high level overview of what a, a player operations uh, on the baseball ops side looks like from a job perspective? Sure. Um, you know, first and foremost, I think the person who maybe hasn't played or has no experience playing, they're going to find it difficult to maybe begin their career in the scouting side of it. But having worked in the front office, I can also certainly speak to that. And, and I think that's where the most success and where we're seeing a lot of people such as you described that maybe didn't play, but um, have a, a burning desire to get into baseball operations are, are starting out. And I think the best advice I can give anybody is to get as much involved into the game as you possibly can, whether that's at your college level, working for the teams themselves, uh, talking to the scouts and the executives that come to games, to watch games, things of that nature, working for maybe some of the college summer leagues, um, working for USA Baseball, just trying to, whatever it may be, get experience within um, baseball as much as possible. And that, quite honestly, is not necessarily to round out your skills, but to make connections. As I mentioned, the, the, the strongest thing that we have, uh, one of the strongest things we have at Ohio University is our um, network, um, whether it's baseball, college athletics, professional football, 
um, marketing team, you know, uh, events, things of that nature, whatever it may be. Um, it's, it's getting your foot in the door and getting to know people who can help you. And what I mean by that is it's not just the, the people who are going to help you get a job because they know who you are, but it's the people that you can begin to talk to, to gain some knowledge and some experience, just like we're doing on this call as to what things are like in the front office and getting a perspective of what's that like. And as you begin to build those relationships, um, those people will hopefully uh, begin to get to know you better. You're kind of an interview um, on the fly, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And when those opportunities arise, like it did for me, that you are the one that um, they're thinking of. It's not that you're trying to chase them down. It's that almost they're trying to chase you down. I've told many, many people this throughout my career that are looking for jobs, and it's it's not who you know, and it's not even necessarily what you know, but ultimately it's going to be who knows you because these jobs are so competitive right now that it's building that network and building that that basis of foundation with people within the game that is going to be very critical to, to getting that first step in the game. Now, don't get me wrong. Education is certainly critical and important. Getting uh, experience around the game as much as possible is certainly critical and important, but I think the best education, the best experience you can have is being around people who actually work within professional baseball as much as possible and beginning to talk to them. From the second part of your question regarding kind of the top level overview of a baseball operation standpoint, it's, it's so diverse and complex. I don't know if that's a, an easy answer. We could spend the entire time on this podcast speaking about that and probably several other podcasts beyond long story short you know the front office's job ultimately and finally is to support the major league club the major league club drives everything um that's where our money is made that's where um the victory is won that's where um the the major league team supports every other tentacle of the entire organization not just baseball operations but let's face it the marketing standpoint the financial standpoint, the HR, the community relations. Um, if the major league club is not successful, no other part of your organization is going to be successful. We are a business, and our business is still to make money. Now, we make money by winning championships and winning games on the field. That's the driving force. So the baseball operations department is there to support that major league club, and that includes um, the amateur scouting to find the right players, the international scouting to find the right players, the professional scouting to find the right players, and the support within the front office of those entities, uh, providing information, disseminating that information, and working it up the food chain to make decisions. Player development the same way, obviously, to get the players that those scouting sites have, have acquired for us and refining those talents. And again, the front office supporting that in any way they can administering that in any way they can and ultimately helping to make those decisions because the front office is where the decisions are obviously ultimately made. Um, some are more of a group think than others. Some are more analytical than others. Some are more of a individual based than others, i.e. the GM making those decisions. But all the front office is there to do and, and whatever subset or sub department is, is to support that major league club and ensure that that major league club is as, as successful as possible. No, that's a great point. And you bring up kind of the business side, right? Uh, I think a lot of people see the player operations as like, you know, funding games, which it is. Uh, they're, they're, you know, you're playing games on the field and you're, you know, you're coaching, you're scouting, you're developing players. But at the same time, it is a business mm-hmm. and there are business decisions that have to be made, whether it's, you know, contracts, trades, uh, free agents, you know, the list goes on and on, like you're talking about in the sense of we could go on about that for days. But you know, when you when you look at the different compartments of 
the front office per se. Everyone, you know, uh, you see a lot of young young people that want to try and work in the game. You'd maybe ask them, "What do you want to do?" And say, I just want to work in the front office, mm-hmm. or I want to work in baseball. Um, but there's so many different components and complexities like you're talking about. I mean, there is the the analytics side, which obviously gets a lot of buzz uh, around, you know, kind of the the numbers and the Billy, you know, Billy ball and, and that whole thing um, and how that's evolved. But then you also have the video side and, you know, you mentioned the three levels of scouting with amateur international professional. Um, you've got the player development, which is evolving more and more with, you know, the, the sports science side of things, right. And athletic training and nutrition, um, so, you know, when you started, I'm sure the, the departments, all those departments looked a lot smaller than they are now, right? <laughs> oh, it, it's night and day. We basically ran an office when I first started in my first full-time job with the Rangers, there was a scouting director, there was a player development director, there was an assistant scouting director who was me, there was an assistant, um, scouting director, um, there was an assistant GM, a GM and one administrative assistant. So that was seven people that made up our front office of a successful club. We were a successful organization. We were in the playoffs three out of four years while, you know, when I first started. And, but that was the front office. And <laughs> to find a front office that is only seven deep now would be impossible. Just the interns? Yeah, exactly. Right? Just the interns <laughs> and the video interns. It, 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 would, be, it would be impossible. The, the complexity of these offices now are are tenfold. And, and that is, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just a reality. But what it does do is open up many, many opportunities for people who maybe didn't play, um, have a different set of background or a different set of skills um, that can, can be combined with the people who have some more on the field experience to help make decisions. And I think those are the most successful for offices, obviously, are the ones that have that combination of guys that have on-field live baseball experience versus the guys who maybe don't have that but have a different set of skills that can augment the the other weaknesses of somebody else and work together to make those those the correct decisions so to speak so it it is completely night and day from where it was um the competition is even more fierce than it ever was i remember when i was when i was ultimately in charge of our internship program with texas for a few years that the, the amount of resumes I would receive on a weekly basis was staggering and trying to weed through those. Um, and, and it's, it, it is just fascinating to see where the game has come and, and how it's evolved. And, and the, again, the opportunities that exist for, for people um, who are hopefully listening um, on this podcast and people like them that um, have the opportunity to, to, to work in a front office. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the resume, you know, sifting. If, if you're running an internship uh, program now at a club, you, you might as well be like half HR, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. In, in, terms of, in terms of how many emails you probably get. And um, it comes with, you know, the the need to kind of move around too, as, as you see a lot of different people will get, they might get an opportunity or foot in the door, but then they go to the other side of the country mm-hmm. and then to the other side of the country and you know, continuously kind of moving and shifting with the seasons. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's a, a pipeline of people that continue to work through some of the organizations, but then you also see those who might enter at, you know, mid, mid-level management or even at the top that came from other places, mm-hmm. other parts of the business, whether it's sports industry or not. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in terms of just uh, the skill sets that these people who maybe 
didn't play, didn't have prior baseball experience, whatever it might be that they could then come into an organization and uh, maybe change things up or, or, you know, can really succeed. Ultimately it's going to be about talent and personality. And, you know, let's touch on the talent side of it. Obviously intelligence is, is paramount. Um, you have to be able to think on your feet. You have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to, to move on the fly. There's a lot of things that are going to be thrown at you. Um, so a diverse mix is always going to be important. Now, obviously, some people may just go straight in the analytical side of things and kind of live their life there. But what we're seeing is more and more there's a, a group that's analytically based, and then there's a group that does everything else. Um, you know, the analytical skill sets that everybody wants to talk about are very specific and very critical and very impressive. Um, but what we, I think I see more and more is the people who are in more the, that want to get in more of the front office side of things. And ultimately let's face it, everybody wants to be a GM when they grow up. Mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing from them is that diversity of mix and that diversity of talent and that diversity of intelligence and the ability to think on your feet, the ability to make adjustments and ultimately the ability to lead and to listen. Um, you know, we've seen too many times uh, a young man or a young woman come in there and you know, because they've come from X, Y, and Z school and they have X, Y, and Z background and they have X, Y, and Z um, experience that they think they're going to walk right in and, and join the GM when he's making decisions. And you, you're going to be humbled pretty quickly. So you have to be willing uh, on top of this, this intelligence quotient or quote to, to be able and willing to listen and be able to, and willing to learn and understand like any business that you don't know anything when you first get there, you may have a base set of skills, but you ultimately don't know anything and you're, you know, it's about on the job training. And then we, we switch it to the personality side of things, you know, front offices in baseball, we spend a great, great, great deal of time together. We're there early in the morning. A lot of times we're there very late at night past games. So we have to be able to, to get along. We have to be able to adjust the different personalities and different mindsets and different things and be able to just to share and be open to ideas. So you can't be quote unquote a robot. You can't just be all about what or will I have, you know, a certain level of IQ or will I have a certain set of skill sets? You have to be able to work well with others because we ultimately spend more time around each other than we ever do around our families, unfortunately. Um, yeah. And you, you bring up a great point. I mean, you, you, you talked about uh, earlier in the episode about spending so many days and, and hours away from your family. Can you give us a little peek into uh, what a typical travel schedule looks sure. like for, for a scout? Well, you know, obviously during spring training, it's a different animal because you start at the beginning of spring training, you're there for the end of spring training. That's six, seven, eight weeks, possibly. Now, some teams do it differently, but especially in the front office, you're six, seven weeks on the road right there. You know, hopefully your family gets to come out and see you, but otherwise you're, you're gone. Um, from a scout standpoint, you know, a trip, typical travel schedule, at least what I try to do, and everybody does it a little bit differently, is most of my longer trips I try to take early on in the season when I'm still fresh. Um, because there is a, a point of, you know, diminishing returns if you get yourself worn out. So what I'll try to do is if I have a, you know, I'll plan on maybe a three-week trip right out of the chute try to knock things out when I'm fresh, I'm eager, I'm ready to go. I still feel good. And then obviously as the season goes on, I may try to limit those a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So again, I don't reach that point of diminishing returns. And I'm not thinking too much about, gosh, I miss my family. I haven't seen them. This is going on at home. I need to get there. Um, And it starts distracting from my work. So, you know, I may go from three weeks to, you know, 15 days, three series, obviously three series, you know, try to get every starter in times five, 
So maybe that's 15 days. Then maybe you start and just settle in at the, the 10 game series or the 10 game books and then get home for two, three days at a time, recharge his batteries and get right back to it. And other scouts do things different ways. Um, it just depends on who you are and what you can handle. But I do think that there is a, a point of, as we've mentioned, diminishing returns that really can affect your work. If you don't balance that home life back out to it, and I think that's very important for everybody to remember. Like I said, when you're young, you're single, you can blow and go, and this is all it's about. But once you start getting into a stage in your life where you have a family, you have kids, there are you begin to realize you're doing this for them. Um, so taking care of them is a big part of it, and you have to do that by taking care of you. Now, again, I, I will spend 20, 25 days a month at a time on the road. It's just how I break that up into at least getting a couple days here and there to recharge those batteries so that I can be at my best for the club um, that I, I, I put into to effect. And fortunately, my club allows us to do that very, very well. Well, you know, you talk about the diminishing returns. One would maybe ask, well, you're just watching baseball games. How do you, how do you, you know, get tired, <laughs> right? But there's a lot more that goes into it than just sitting there for three hours watching a baseball game. I mean, you're talking about, you know, two, three hours before the game, watching mm-hmm. batting practice, um, workouts. There's then the post game, you know, recaps and, and uh, reports. I mean, kind of take yeah. us through what a, you know, not a day in the life of a scout, but just ultimately, what is what does a workload oh, sure. look like? When you do well, and it is trip. a day in the life yeah. of a scout. Um, you know, it's like it's the same kind of joke that I always hear, and I laugh about. Well, how are these guys? Why do these guys need days off when they're they're only playing three hours a day? It's like <laughs> you have no concept of what these guys go through every day, and what a scout. And this is a very typical schedule for a scout: wake up in the morning, you know. I don't get up at 6 a.m., but I don't sleep in till 10, 11 o'clock either. I'm usually up by 8 o'clock, 7.30, 8 o'clock. Um, I check um, overnight news reports on all of my teams, catch up on anything that happened overnight, especially maybe, you know, West Coast game or something like that. Make sure on the minor leagues, you know, usually don't get updated. Um, you don't get a lot of information until the next morning. So I kind of circle back and make sure, okay, that's the first thing I do. I check on everything that happened overnight that I may have missed. Then what I do is I go back and reread first thing in the morning every report I may have written the night before. Um, I always, and we'll talk about this, I always write reports fresh in my mind, but I will go back the next day and just circle back and make sure what I said made sense at one o'clock in the morning. Um, from there, go grab, you know, bagels, some coffee, whatever it may be. Try to get a run in, try to get a workout in. Um, spend a little time out of the hotel room because you have to. You don't want to spend all day in a hotel room. You know, say it's an hour or so. Then come right back and start doing research for the next day or that day's game. I'll look up, you know, who's starting. I'll do some research into some of the players I expect to see. I will then start banging out other reports, especially the position players um, that I'm beginning to build upon. You know, you have to kind of build those as you go on like pitchers who you may see once and that would be it. So I spend the rest of that afternoon or that early afternoon, you know, writing a report and writing reports, which takes hours. From there, go get lunch. Um, come back, do some more computer work, do some more research, do some more reports. These things do not write themselves. They take a while. And then I'll watch video and that'll be throughout the day. I'll watch video on guys I may have missed. I'll watch video on guys I've seen to get a better look at them. Especially again, I may see a reliever for two innings. Well, let me go back and watch some video and get a better feel for that guy. Um, spend that time for the next couple hours watching video, doing some things of that nature, filling in the blanks on the reports that the video may help cover. And then I go to the ballpark and this is around three o'clock go there. 
try to touch base with some context I have. Uh, that's always best uh, pregame, whether it's, you know, seeing guys on the field when they're just doing individual work or whatever it may be, trying to get some information from those contacts with those clubs. And then you're watching batting practice and you're watching infield work and you're watching sides and you're watching bullpens and you're watching everything that they're doing pregame to see not only the skill set, but also to see how they are as a worker and who they are as a person. You can find out a lot pregame, and that's very critical. You, you need to know who these people are before you welcome in, them into your organization so you, you know what kind of worker they are, what kind of person they are, are they going to fit in, can they get better because they're willing to put in the work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You'll be able to see body types. You're able to see um, different skills because they may be working on something. You're seeing what they are working on. You're seeing how they're working. Well, maybe this organization doesn't do some things that we do that we know that we can delve into it. And that takes, you know, that'll take you close to the game where grab a quick bite before the game, then you're into the game and you're there for three to four hours, depending on where you're at. You're done by 10, 10 30, you know, sometimes 11 o'clock you're back in the room. And most of us will bang out that picture and maybe a couple reports that night, be there till, you know, 12 31 o'clock on the computer and start it all again the next morning. So there's not a lot of downtime and it's, you know, for some, for someone who for someone who might think that uh, being a scout is not being at a desk, <laughs> you know, there's there's a lot of time spent. Uh, not oh, at the there really on, is on reports mm-hmm. and videos. There really is. I mean, don't get me wrong. The crux, the most important thing we do is, of course, watch the game and watch the players pregame. But there's still a lot that goes into it behind that to make sure you're doing it right, and then to make sure that you get the information to the people that matter. And getting them in a, such a way that they, you get your points across. So it's in a lot of ways, it's an artwork um, to be able to precisely and, con- and concisely um, tell your front office what you're seeing and, and what you're looking at. Well, and then, you know, you're obviously probably having conversations with your international scouts, mm-hmm. and your amateur scouts and your other pro scouts as to what they're seeing. And it's just like a, it's a constant you know, learning oh, sure. cycle and, and there's always something new, you know, to, to pick up on or a new player or where did this mm-hmm. guy come from? Um, you know, injuries happen, yep. right? And then someone new emerges. So uh, take us through real quick kind of when the trade deadline arises, does it get super crazy in terms of submitting reports or is really the majority of the work done ahead, you know, ahead of time um, to where you're able to make educated decisions you know, way beforehand in terms of, you know, who, you you know, from a strategy. Right. Well, obviously the crux of what we've done to that point is, is already done um, or what we've, um, yep. but it does get super crazy. Now it gets super crazy with targets. So the reports kind of slow down, but then you're starting to bounce around. You become almost an amateur cross checker because you're going this place, that place every couple of days. Um, Cause maybe we're dealing with a club and we're talking to a specific club. So we walk into that ballpark and we're talking about these specific players and we're trying to get last looks at player X, Y, and Z. So we go in there for a couple of days, get those reports done. And again, it's not 25 reports, then it's three or four and then get back out. And then you're onto the next park or you're onto the next organization. You're onto the next club within that organization. So the, the blowing and going and the travel becomes more hectic because the one advantage we have as pro and major league scouts is, We'll sit in a ballpark usually for five, six days at a time, or at least on one club. But around the deadline, you know, when we're chasing guys down and trying to get final looks at guys as much as possible, um, just to get that one additional look, just to make sure. Or maybe it's a guy that, for whatever reason, we have missed that year. Injury just kept promoted, or we haven't been able to see him. Um, so those, those do become critical looks. But you, you are hopeful 
that ultimately that's not the only look you have on that player that year. Well, and, and you talk about bouncing around to see a bunch of different players. I mean, on a, on a guesstimate, how many players you think get your writing up reports on over a year's oh worth of time? Wow. In season? Um, you know, it's, it's <laughs> well over 700. I re- I remember, I remember when I was with the Mariners, I took Tommy Allison's book, uh, two two binders worth of scouting reports, and had to make mm-hmm. photocopies of them, and that was only like yep. two years worth. And I mean, I had to have made probably well over twelve hundred yep. copies. I mean, it was between insane. teams, between we do a lot of matchup looks where you know I may be in to see my club, but another club is coming in that we like. You know, a few players in that club, or we've missed a few players in that club, so we'll write those guys up. Between that, between spring training, between the fall league, things of that nature, between major league clubs, I mean, it, it gets into the 700s. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned the fall league. So, you know, some might think, okay, well, if you're just doing major league games, you know, you're seeing spring training through the end of the season. Well, that's not really the case. You know, for, for the coaches, coaches may be off uh, for some months during the off season, but there's really no off season no. for you. I mean, you're Fall league, you know, winter league, um, off season. I mean, there's probably something to go to at any point. In time. Oh, it's if as long as baseball is being played somewhere, we're, we've got eyes on it. Um, somebody's looking at somebody. Um, you know, it's just it's the nature of the beast. Obviously, a little bit different um, with what we're dealing with today in society. And sure. uh, but in a normal set of circumstances, if a game is being played somewhere or a league is going on, we've got eyes in that league. Um, so it's, it, it, it rarely, rarely slows down. It rarely, rarely stops. And obviously in the, the off season, it does slow down a little bit. You get a little bit more time at home and things of that nature. And, you know, we're not, instead of covering seven different, um, minor league clubs, plus the major league club for every organization, there's only, you know, 10 clubs in the Dominican and 12 clubs in Venezuela or whatever it may be. So you do get more time, but if something, if baseball is being played, we're watching it. And, and most likely, if there's a game of that extent being played somewhere, you can probably find a scout, right? So if you are, to some extent, you know, trying to become a scout or at least get into the front office or player development or whatever it might be, um, I know one of, as I was trying to kind of go from grad school to into the player side, that the advice was given by yourself of kind of create a, create your own mm-hmm. portfolio, right? C- write up some different reports. You're not going to know what to do necessarily, uh, because you aren't on it, you know, you aren't in an organization, but at least just, you know, figure out what you see or, or um, write down some of the best players in that area or whatever the case might be. Um, so what advice do you have for those if they've you know, never seen anything um, in terms of scouting reports or whatever it might be that they could then go out and try and create their well, own uh, You know, first and foremost, it, it just like you've done and, and did a great job with is, Go to the games. Um, go to these games. I've seen kids. I sat with a young man in Frisco several times last year who wants to get into this side of things and was going to college or was about to enter college. And he went to games and all he did was write up guys. And then he would ask scouts pregame to sit with him for a few minutes and go through things with him and talk to him and, you know, analyze what he did. And that's what I would encourage guys to do is if they want to get into scouting or even if they don't, and I'll talk about, um, what I mean by that here in just a second is spend as much time around scouts as possible. Spend as much time around evaluators and front office members at games as possible. Now, obviously some are going to be more prone than others and we all have jobs to do in game. But what you'll find is a lot of times 
scouts will take the time. If they see somebody really dedicated and driven and isn't being egotistical about it but wants to actually learn, that are willing to spend time with you. College summer league games, the Arizona Fall League, college um, baseball games, just normal baseball games, minor league games, whatever it may be, especially pregame, that you can ask the right questions and scouts will be more than willing to talk to you about what they see and how they do it. And then create, like you said, your own portfolio, write things down. Scouts will look at it and say, you know, I would say it this way. I would say it that way. I didn't see this, but more specifically, write it this way, express it this way. Um, You know, it's, it's going to take time before you really know what you're seeing, but being able to have that artwork to be able to express yourself properly is critical. And I say that for anybody who wants to, to join baseball, because if you can evaluate, you will always be a critic. Even if you're going to end up being a GM one day, even if you're going to be a player development director, even if you're going to be an analyst, even if you're going to be um, an assistant GM, a director of baseball operations, whatever it may be, to have a skill that you can fall back on as an evaluator, you make yourself that much more valuable. So to be able to do that, even if you don't want to necessarily scout, to be able to go into a ballpark and evaluate a player, that's going to be a critical skill for you, whatever position you take in baseball. And it's something that is highly desired, especially if you can round it out with a good education um, and a background, maybe in another way. Those are the guys that are the most valuable in the game is those guys who have evaluated, who can also do those other things. And they become very, very, very attractive to front offices. Well, you mentioned the evaluating piece from a scouting perspective. You know, you think about uh, how that might relate or be transferable to other parts of the the sports industry as a whole. And I've found that going from player side to the business side, scouting mm-hmm. is a whole lot like sales. You know, you, you may not be looking at uh, baseball players playing and, and you know evaluating talent, but it, the process is all the same, right? The process you are constantly prospecting. You are evaluating whether someone could be a fit or not. Um, you're understanding what their uh, ceiling is, mm-hmm. what their floor is, right? Whether that's how yep. much money they can spend or what their talent level is going to be. Um, you know, there's there's mm-hmm. a tenure piece to it, right? How you know how long can someone be in an organization, or how long can a partner be involved? Um, there's a lot of different similarities, and so if you just understand the process. Uh, you might be able to catch on a little bit easier if you did want to get into the player side coming from a different background and not think that you are so far vastly behind because, um, you know, even if you're a scout and you just one day decided you wanted to do the business side, you could Mm -hmm. probably go into sales. You're still selling a player internally, right, to whomever it is, whether it's the GM or the scouting director, whoever it might be. you got to sell the player that you wrote up a report on. Uh, because you got to back up. No doubt. You, you know, it could go both down. ways, you know, from the business side to the baseball side, from the baseball side to the business side. I, to this day, I'll say the best intern we've ever had with the Rangers, who is now and has been a longtime front office executive on the baseball side um, and is one of the best evaluators I know of amateur talent. We hired that intern from our community relations department. He had worked in our community relations department for three years, always wanted to get in the baseball side but honed his skills on the business side of things so that, um, and obviously kept a foot in the door on the baseball side, talked to us. We were very well aware of him. Um, but his skill set was able to translate because he allowed it to translate. So it does work both ways without a doubt. As long as you don't become too headstrong and too focused on one way or the other, 
that you should be able to move back and forth if you so choose. So, and, and yeah, and yeah, I'll say that, you know, and I'll, if it is hard to get in a, a entry level job into baseball, especially baseball operations. So if you have to take a marketing gig, if you have to take a sales gig, if you have to take an HR gig, whatever it may be, and get your foot in the door, that's not the end of the world because at least you're one step closer and you'll be at least around those people so that within the scope of your current job, you can build that skill set, show off to the people who are around you and hopefully kind of transition one day. So it's not the end of the world to take that path. No, that's the, you, you bring up a great point in that, um, you know, there is no great entry point or entry time, right? Someone might have to do multiple internships mm-hmm. just to get their foot in the door anyways. So um, build a rapport within an organization, within the industry, uh, and then you'll be on your way. You know, one last thought as, you, as we kind of wrap up the episode, as you look back at, at your time this far in the industry and certainly have done some great things. Uh, what is the biggest thing you've learned uh, about not only um, how to work in an organization where you are traveling all the time and communicating you know, differently with everyone around the organization, whether you're in person or not? Um, and then you know, how uh, can someone take some of those lessons and apply it to whatever it is that they do, whether it's the I think it's, side it's or the player Be flexible side. or die. Um, this game and I would venture to guess almost every industry in this country is evolving constantly. And if you get too set in your own ways or fight against change, you're going to die. You're going to be no longer valuable. Um, And if you, so you have to be able to bend, you have to be able to be ready and open to new ideas. You have to be willing to try them. That doesn't mean you have to follow all of them. It doesn't mean you have to believe in all of them. But you have to be able to find the newness to go with your experience to be able to evolve, to be able to be a better employee and to be able to continue to make yourself valuable and not a dinosaur. So I would imagine with any industry you enter in, whether it's baseball, whether it's sports, whether it's just life in general, whatever you choose to go into, if you can't continue to be flexible and continue to bend, you will become um, you, you will lose your value. You, you just will. There's somebody behind you that's going to be willing to do that. They're probably willing to do it for a lot less money. So you better be able to use your experience and show that you are able to also bend to the newness of whatever industry that is and be able to make adjustments um, in order to continue to have success with whatever you're doing. And I, I think that's the biggest thing that we're facing as an industry now. And we're seeing it. A lot of veteran people in this game are refusing to bend or refusing to, to adjust. And unfortunately, and sadly, in many cases, um, they're losing their footing in the game. Whereas some of those who are a little bit more open to ideas, even if it frustrates them um, and willing to do different things are going to continue to be able to survive. Yep. Adaptability is the key. Um, I, John, I can't thank you enough for uh, the insights and advice. And I certainly know our listeners will, will enjoy it, um, appreciate it, and certainly look forward to having you on again in the future. And uh, be well. My and, pleasure. And I hope everybody stays safe out there.